Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Alex Pasternak. He is Executive Vice President at Binsk. And we're going to talk a little bit about the company, the history, their take on the cannabis market. Obviously, a pretty incredible brand at this point uh, has made some pretty interesting moves. Curious to find out about uh, how things have been going, about the history, uh, learning a little bit more about the products, a little bit more about the brand, about the model they've developed, uh, and how things are going. Uh, with that, Alex, welcome to the program. Thank you, Bruce. I uh, really appreciate you uh, you having me today. Excited to uh, to talk cannabis with you. Yeah. So let's find out a little bit more about you first, and then we can talk about how you got into the space, and we can talk about Binsk and kind of the ride you guys have been on, uh, and uh, kind of where where you're at and where the future holds. But let's learn about Alex a little bit more. Tell us about your background and and how this all came about. Absolutely. So uh, born and raised in Miami, Florida. Um, ended up deciding to go to college actually in Colorado in Boulder. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a civil and environmental engineer 
accounting major in Boulder. And after graduation, I ended up moving to Los Angeles where my brother Jake uh, was living. Jake was really interested in the cannabis space, was looking first and foremost to make an investment in the cannabis space, but he couldn't really find something that he thought was worth investing in and basically quickly realized that there wasn't a brand, which is what his his focus was uh, interested, his interests were in terms of an investment. Um, there wasn't a brand that was optim- operating at the highest quality all the way around. Yeah. And so um, it was truly my brother, who's the CEO and the founder of, of Binsk, who set forth to head back to Colorado, get some licenses and to build an operating company there. And so at that time, I actually moved back to Miami. I got into medical sales in Miami and and was doing medical sales for roughly the two years that Jake was living in Colorado and decided to buy a piece of land and build a grow and and acquire a a (laughs) lab and, and do basically all the heavy lifting to get to the point of being operational and ready to start producing products. I then partnered with my brother basically upon inception of the brand and together we launched Binsk about three and a half years ago now. And the name Binsk, funny enough, yeah. came from the evolution of the word doobie. So <laughs> in in high school, we, we, uh, we often heard doobie and over time we turned that into Dubinsky. And then nice. we actually chopped off the do and we chopped off the ski <laughs> and a Binsk was our word in high school to to go outside and, and to smoke a doobie without anyone really knowing. So it was code. This was your code word. <laughs> exactly. It was 100% our code word that all of our friends started to use, which directly just meant a joint. And uh, we we used it pretty heavily. So to see Binsk as one of the top cannabis brands in the world now, it means so much to us. Yeah, no, there's a personal story attached to it. I love it. I love it. And so when did, so when did you found? How long ago was this at this point? This was 20... 20- 15? Yeah, basically, no, it was towards the end of 2016. Okay. So, um, but, you know, Jake had moved to Colorado early 2015, maybe late 2014. And then the brand really launched basically January of 2017. Got it. And I guess tell me a little bit about the original brand intentions. I mean, I, I, I get the idea that, you know, quality wasn't wasn't there or, or quality wasn't to the level that you wanted, but give us some more details in terms of really what you were trying to achieve by, you know, launching the brand, what the brand was representing, what did that mean in terms of products and, you know, how you kind of designed the original company? I mean, what, what was it like in the beginning in terms of your intentions? Yeah. So Jake and I have been pretty passionate about the plant for some time now. And we, we know what good products and, and, you know, the difference between good products and bad products are. And so we knew from the very beginning, we wanted to become the four seasons of cannabis. We wanted to operate at the highest possible quality standards all the way across the boards. Mm-hmm. Keep in mind when we launched we were not that we, we were somewhat late to the game in the sense of we went to Colorado to launch this brand in the most mature cannabis market yeah. around. Yeah. And that that was done on purpose because we thought if we could prove the, you know, the uh, the concept in a mature market like Colorado, then we can figure out a way to to get the brand into these other territories. So we launched with the idea in mind of let's differentiate our brand. So in a land of milk chocolate, we decided to do dark chocolate. In a land of <laughs> gummies, like we decided to do fruit leathers. Ooh. And uh, one of the other edible skews we launched with at the very beginning was extra virgin olive oil. Yeah, I like it. Uh, additionally, we had a line of honey. So we came out on the edible side with a differentiated line of products, a curated line of products. In particular, I'd love to tell you one quick story 
story on yeah. chocolate. Yeah. It was about eight years ago now in no reservations, Anthony Bourdain and his team went down to Peru. And while there, they basically rediscovered the Peruvian Nacional cacao. In English, that's just the Peruvian national cacao. Uh-huh. If you check out this episode, you will see that the pods from the cacao are actually really white and a rare type of cacao. And so it was thought to be extinct for over 100 years. They basically found it, cloned it, hybridized it, started mass producing it again. Huh. Um, Binsk wow. has exclusivity of the Peruvian Nacional cacao in the cannabis space. So Fascinating. Not to any, yeah, yeah, pretty pretty incredible. So not to mention any names of, of competitors of ours, but you got to think back now a couple years. Most of the competitors of ours in Colorado were using their edibles really as a delivery mechanism just to yeah. deliver the high to yeah. the consumer. It was a cracker for the, the peanut butter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The, the whole point was just let's deliver these milligrams to the consumer where Binsk, in my opinion, really was the first brand and, and company that started sourcing some of the finest raw ingredients in the world that just then happened to be infused with cannabis. Mm-hmm. And so what we were now delivering to the consumers was a bean-to-bar, farm-to-table, artisanal, world-class ingredient-based edible line. And so the chocolates in particular, ranging from 47 to 75% cacao, it was a, a real difference, a true differentiator in the space of just being the first brand to actually focus on trying to produce some of the finest total uh, edibles, in, including the raw ingredients, the packaging, and of course, the consistent cannabis oil in the space. Yeah. And tell me about from a cultivar point of view, was any any particular focus or how did you choose uh you know, basically what, what products, what, what raw material to use and and some of your products, how did that play out? Yeah. So my brother, Jake has been a flower snob most of his life (laughs) in a a really good way. I say that, uh, nothing but love. Uh, And so (laughs) he was really the one that went on the quest to, to search for the best genetics for us, um, from all over. And so we now have a vast portfolio of genetics, roughly 58 strains in each of the territories that we're in. And they range from the fruities to the OGs to the hazes and and unbelievable crosses between all of them. And so our model is based on what I call really from soil to oil. And when I say soil Mm. to oil, what I'm saying is that we were actually growing these genetics, our plants. No one else is growing these exact genetics. We then are extracting these into oil and we're producing our downstream products from our our actual cultivars as well. And that model you don't see as as consistent across the boards. A lot of people are buying biomass in the marketplace and, and they're not as focused on the cultivars and the genetics that make up the downstream products. And while some of our products are way more predicated on on those quality genetics than others, we have basically built what's called a vertical integration in the sense that all of our products right now are are being produced from our own cultivars. We occasionally buy some like wholesale distillate in the marketplace and and we'll occasionally buy some excess material for when we're in a pinch or, or need to produce way more products. But for the most part, we are as vertical as humanly possible right now. Yeah, yeah. And how does that, I guess, how has that played into the branding, into the price points, into, you know, the sort of product, uh, product development, product selection? I mean, what, give me give me some insights into uh, into that side. Yeah, our lane that we play in is is primarily, I would say, the top 10% price point. We, we basically wanted to be the brand at the highest quality, but not to outprice ourselves. Okay. So 
we're usually just try to be like a dollar or two more than the average of that skew. Okay. Um, in mind that all these markets are so different. And so the Colorado market is turning a little bit into like the Oregon and, and Washington markets of a, I hate to use this term, but a little bit of a race to the bottom. Yeah. Um, and so for us, we, we understand that each of these markets will be a little bit different and our prices are Somewhat varied across the board because of that. At the end of the day, the the terms quality and premium are being thrown around by basically every cannabis brand in the in the space right now, even if they don't use those kind of standards. And so we we have to demonstrate our quality based on our actual methods. And so the cultivars is really the first part of it all. Mm -hmm. the, the next part of it all is the extraction methods that are being used. Um, and so we we use a extraction method that, that's called hydrocarbon extraction. It uses a combo of butane and propane. Mm -hmm. And that's what we use to, to get live resin. And so without boring you on, on too many details, <laughs> Most competitors out there for the vape formulas are extracting a dry trim material. Yeah. So the trim is the excess material that, that falls off when, when doing your trimmings of the buds. And they then wait a little bit and, and they, they extract this dried out trim material. And at Binsk, we are freezing basically 90 to 95% of what we grow, the entire plant. Uh -huh. And we actually extract a, a material that we call fresh frozen live resin. And so within about 30 seconds of the entire plant being taken out of the soil, it's it's flash frozen at about negative 90 degrees. And that allows for the the flavor, the aroma, the terpenes, everything that's in that plant to to stay in that plant and not to evaporate at all. And that produces a, a much higher quality product called live resin. And so we produce in all of our vapes currently to date in the states that we're in, it's it's only live resin extraction that goes in there. And so I'm not sure if, if you or the others on that are listening to this have had the chance to try, but it is a uh, an absolute night and day different product than most of the vape carts that are out there today. So yeah. uh, understanding again, back from cultivars to the extraction to the downstream execution of the edibles and the topicals and, and whatnot with all those raw ingredients and, and the packaging that we've done, that's really the bow that we've tied together and, and called Binsk. Yeah, that's great. So, uh, wow, a couple of questions on this. So tell me about the extraction process. I mean, is this something that you uh, developed on your own? Was this uh, in collaboration with, you know, people that, you know, make the equipment or how, I guess, how did, how did you develop this? How did you research it? How have you improved it? Because it sounds pretty complicated, you know, going from soil to a, a minus 90 degrees in, you know, within that time period. How did, how did this come about? How did you pull this off? Yeah, so we are not the only ones to be doing this right now, and we did not create this technology by any means. The The reality is, is that there are a ton of different extraction methods that are used today. Ethanol, yeah. CO2, butane, propane, there's even a world of solventless extraction. So yeah. there, there's people that aren't even using solvents like the solvents I just mentioned. Uh -huh. They each have pros and cons to them. Yeah. The ones that you see most often across the country right now and really across the world is CO2 extraction and ethanol extraction. And those two are seen most often because uh, they're pretty much the easiest to run with the highest yields. Yeah. So again, yield, you, you put in your, your input material, you put in your flour, and the oil that comes out on the back end is is your yield. And so 
understanding how to increase your yields is something that is directly tied to overall revenue of an operating company. And so CO2 has been the one that's, again, most most readily available in the form of, of vapes. And we just think that the butane propane extraction method, even though it has a, a, a lower yield, so we aren't going to get the total same amount of, of, X, of uh, oil mm-hmm. on, on the back end of the extraction, we believe it's a much cleaner product and um, we believe it's a higher quality product. Yeah. And so those are some of the things that we've had to decide to do at Binsk, which is do we do we follow the rest of the herd and do what is going to make us maybe a little bit more money right now? Or do we want to stick to our guns and, and stick to the brand ethos? And so understanding things like that directly demonstrate our commitment to quality across the board. Yeah. And furthermore, one of the things to jump in there is, is we could move away away from, you know, the different types of cultivars and soil and the way that you run your cultivation is in large part predicated about the nutrient list that you're using. Are you using synthetic nutrients? Do you want to use organic nutrients and and how close to it being as organic of a grow as possible? And so we we've had the opportunity, we still do to run more of a synthetic grow to spike our THC count and start to produce things that would probably generate us more revenue. Mm-hmm. At the same time, we, again, our, our commitment to quality has not changed and, and we want to continue to provide our customers the, the highest quality product. And even if the THC count might not be as spiked as other brands, we believe running more of an organic-based nutrient list for our, our cultivation is uh, another another way that we demonstrate that. Yeah. Yeah. And now as, as being a multi-state operator now, you know, you can't, you can't have a centralized uh, facility in one state and manage the production and distribute it. How are you making sure that your, your processes, your standards, your checks and balances, you know, are really happening on a state to state level um, or, or meeting your standards and are both consistent with your expectations as well as with state sort of regulations and, you know, restrictions and things that they you know, sort of the variances that happen because of the state laws. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, it's a great question, Bruce. So basically, first and foremost, the the first part of your question, you nailed it right on. It's that cannabis can't cross state lines. And that's because we all know it's still not federally legal. But what can cross state lines is packaging, raw ingredients, and all of the IP, the intellectual property of of how to produce these products. And so um, we've been called the HBO of cannabis in a recent publication, (laughs) and and that's because of the licensing model that we're actually going down. And so in Colorado, Binsk has its own grow, its own lab, its own kitchen, and I I, um, hinted at earlier our vertical. And so we produce all of our own products there. And, and I really describe our first 18 months of existence as as mostly an IP hub. Yeah. We were just building out all of the IP for flower products, edible products, topical products, concentrate products in hopes of having some demand for this brand across state lines to go execute. And so we have now signed a, a very similar licensing deal into 10 other territories. And so again, those 10 territories that are now signed for the Binsk brand, we don't have operations there. We're not growing, we're not extracting, we're not producing the downstream products. We've identified a partner mm-hmm. in each of these territories and have and have uh, signed off exclusive rights to our brand in that territory. 
And so because of the difficulties of crossing state borders right now, we've decided that let's get production up and running in each of these territories, but let's not own these hard assets ourselves. And the logic, again, goes back to this notion of if federal legalization is going to occur in the next year or two or three, Mm -hmm. which I think most of us in the space do believe, then what good is it for us to have 10 commercial kitchens and 10 grows and 10 labs? Yeah when we will at some point be able to cross state lines. Yeah. And so we, we basically have used the Colorado operation to be able to generate these other deals and, and all of the opportunities to get the brand into other states while not having to fork over a, a big initial capital, a big CapEx to get those projects up and running in each of the territories. Yeah. Yeah. I, I see that a lot. I mean, I work with a lot of cannabis companies where we're doing the strategic planning, just kind of looking at, well, how is how is going legal federally and or, or descheduling or whatever it ends up doing federally? How is that going to change our market? And yeah, I mean, some of these some of these growers are going to get clobbered in an open market. And yeah, I think it's smart. I mean, using kind of a licensing strategy to you know speed up the growth process. You don't need the capital expenditures. You don't need to you know put people in place. You can you can leverage it and then also sort of de-risk yourself when it comes to um, you know federal federal legalization. I, mean, I, I think the downside on some of that or the risk, the, the risk that you take on is maintaining quality, you know, control over these things, making sure that your brand is going to be consistent from state to state. I mean, talk to me about how, how are you making sure that the people that you're partnering with in the different states that you're operating or that the brand is, is operating in? How do you make sure that the brand is there, that the process is there? What controls have you put in place? Yeah. So it's another great question. We I, my brother started to throw around this term earlier a couple of years ago that just stuck with me. And that is that partner selection is really everything. Yeah. And it's it couldn't be more spot on because first and foremost, finding the partner, identifying the partner and understanding, is this someone that I'm going to be able to, to work with and get in bed with? Is this someone that is going to be able to produce my brand without cutting corners? I mean, that that is a huge Huge, huge question. The royalty rates and the way of the construct of the deal is that we at the brand, we don't make our money until the partner makes their money. Yeah. And so if you think about that, it's truly a marriage because, again, if, if they don't succeed, we won't succeed. So we need them to succeed. So not only is it uh, who which group over here might make sense to produce our brand, it's we we must believe in them. Because yeah. if we don't think that they're going to be successful and we don't think that they're going to execute properly, then we can't sign a licensing deal with them. And so understanding the, the, the construct of the deal is a big chunk of it. But you're absolutely right that once the deal is signed is really when our, our job starts. Because at that point, now we need to manage QA, QC, quality assurance, quality control to the, to the highest possible standards again. And so making sure that the THC percentage in our SKUs remains consistent, making sure the cultivation and our genetics are being grown properly in each of these territories, making sure that um, our hazelnut chocolate bar has the correct amount of hazelnuts on that bar. Uh, we, we recently put on the Leafly Edible of the Year sticker onto all of our edibles. So now we need to get that sticker across the board to all of these states and get them to implement the sticker at the same time. You don't want the sticker to be on some of your edible products in some states and not the others. So a lot of the QA, QC stuff that's happening is more um, aesthetically pleasing in the sense of it, it's small touches that 
mm-hmm. a true customer in one state may not realize because they are not, you know, comparing these products to other products in other states. At the same time, that is a big part of me and my brother in terms of our, our job description and what we do. We're actively in these production facilities, watching them produce the products and, and making sure that a lot of this is being done the way that we set it up to be done. Yeah. We, um, but again, just to, to close the loop on that, there have been other cannabis brands that have tried to license their brand across state lines, and a few of them have had issues with this, whether it's the partner cutting corners, mm-hmm. um, issues getting paid, it, to issues getting shut down because of production issues in these other territories. I mean, there, it would be um, silly for us to think that we could just sign licensing deals and everything else would fall into place because we understand that we have our work cut out to, uh, to make sure that these guys are operating and, and executing the brand to the highest level. One last thing that I'd love to throw in there is that we have now signed these licensing deals mostly with publicly traded entities. And so we recently signed a seven state licensing deal with Merimed. Um, we're mm-hmm. signed with TrueLeave in Florida. The, the other two deals that we have are, are not public entities. But mm-hmm. my point is, is that they are operating at, a, at what we believe to be an insanely high quality. And we, we think that their access to capital, their ability to to continue to build infrastructure, um, and their their size and scale and overall automation that they have on the production level is better suited to produce our brand than us having to get into that space and having to compete with them. And so the the licensing model of of being able to tap into our partners' operations instead of having to compete with them is um, is pretty beneficial and, and powerful. Yeah, it's interesting. Your, your approach is really um, you know tackling some of the big strategic issues in, in terms of building cannabis businesses right now in terms of the multi-state operator side. I mean, you're, 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 you don't have to deal with the a, a lot of the intricacies of state-by-state variations in terms of laws and regulators. You, you kind of put that back onto the licensee holder. The the capital capitalization side, so I mean, I think a lot of companies uh, I mean, it's changing to some extent, but a lot of companies are solving problems finding enough capital to to handle the growth and the scale that they want to achieve. Uh, I think that's great. And then just the uh, the risk of uh, long term changing in the market. You know, as as this market changes, uh, you know that you've you've positioned yourself fairly well to be able to navigate that without or, or giving yourself lots of options as as that comes down the pike. It's funny. I have this vision of I don't know if you've seen the McDonald's. Uh, movie about this this vision of uh you know the first mcdonald's and getting everything perfect and how much time to turn the hamburger and how many onions to put on and all this and like really just nailing the process and you know obviously we're dealing with a much higher end brand but just that dedication and that really um focus on how does the process work how do we how do we get highly repeatable product from location to location uh, but at the same time, dealing with all the the different variations um, that are happening on the state by state level because of these different markets and the different regulations. So, um, a smart strategy. What, what have been some of the challenges? I mean, I, when as you look the last couple of years in terms of building this, where where have things been difficult, or where have you um, had to really kind of navigate? problems or concerns as, as you've gone to market in these different states? Yeah, I'll, I'll first just go back to your example. I, I have that same vision in my head of that uh, documentary, The Founder, with yeah. them at McDonald's getting that set up. So I can appreciate that comment and, and I, I, I actually feel that exact same way in terms yeah. of dialing in these SOPs. And, and so in this industry, the SOPs are really everything. They're the standard operating procedures. And so developing SOPs for each and every one of the facets of, of what we're doing is exactly that. In terms of some of the difficulties, I would say 
I can just give you a, a few couple examples, uh, yeah. a few examples here. Um, in Colorado, one of the other differentiator products that we launched with was called a, a pate de fouille which is a, a fruit pate. Uh-huh. And we decided, again, we didn't want to come out with a traditional gummy like everybody else, and we had to differentiate ourselves. And so we, we launched a pate de fouille. I didn't really realize that producing a pate de fouille, which, which is a candy with a little moisture, a little bit more moist on the inside than a true uh, generic gummy, uh-huh. producing a pate de fouille at, at 8,300 feet in elevation <laughs> in Oak Creek, where we're out of, to then try to replicate at sea level um, was going to cause some issues. Yeah. And so these are the type of things that, you know, as an executive for a multi-state brand that I wouldn't even have ever thought about. Yeah. And so as you go to replicate your SOPs in each of the territories, there are things that you haven't accounted for. And so it's not as easy as just saying, I'm going to buy my ingredients, buy my equipment, and everything will be the exact same. Because, um, again, the way that the plants are grown, the way that the extraction is done, the yield that everything is going to be a little bit different in each of the territories. So I would just say the reality is, is that this plant is so unique and there are so many strains and, and you just don't know exactly what's going to be produced every single time in the sense of mm-hmm. each and every one of the territories is going to be at a different location and, and just dialing that in is quite difficult. Additionally, I, I would say one of the biggest issues that we've had up until recently is just the ability to raise capital. So keep in mind, yeah. four and a half years ago, five years ago, when, when this was originally being put together, this was an insanely risky idea. And the ability to go secure capital with at least a, a decent deal for that capital was very difficult to do. Mm-hmm. And so seeing these Canadian operators pop up and, and have that access to capital and being able to have incredibly low interest rates on, on some of these loans, we just we weren't able to yeah. tap into that, especially when we did it years ago. And so happy to say that it, it's great to see it start to even out as these investors start to feel more secure with this investment and, and the risk factor starting to alleviate a little bit. But that would definitely be something that I, I would need to mention is just the, the difficulty in the risky nature of a business like this when we actually decided to go do this. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's funny you mentioned the um, the processing and the and the different locations. I remember I can't remember who it was, but I was talking to a, a edibles manufacturer and kind of high end chocolates, and they were talking about all of a sudden trying to produce this in a place that had like a ninety degree relative humidity going on, and it was like all of a sudden all the all the times changed and some of the processes weren't working right. But just dealing with the all the different variables, particularly when you're dealing with at that level of product, and you're you're dealing with obviously the 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 agricultural aspect now you're dealing with the culinary aspect packaging you know all the machines you start increasing volumes and all of a sudden things don't work quite the same way like trying to figure that out is, is huge and i could see the challenge of being able to go state by state and and not only so process right but then maintain it over time and, and then manage the growth i'm curious like as as you've kind of look at this market i know that you know everyone in the states here is is very focused on kind of what's happening between the each state uh what's going to happen federally what are you seeing internationally are is there any 
do you see activity? Are you looking internationally as you look at the brand? I mean, I know Canada is, you know, sort of developing and I mean, they're talking about Mexico passing some legislation soon. And then there's, you know, several other countries on an international basis. Is this, um, is the U.S. enough for you right now? Or are you starting to look at some of the international factors here? I don't want to sound greedy, but <laughs> I, I would say that the U.S. is not enough for us. So yeah. in terms of the U.S. right now, explained earlier, Colorado we have, and then we have now 10, 10 other states that have come on board for licensing deals for 11 total. Some of the other states, first and foremost, before I go to the international that we're, we're talking to and, and figuring out opportunities with, Hawaii, I'll be in Hawaii in, in two weeks, checking nice. and, and meeting with some operators, and then Arizona, Michigan, Maine, there's, you know, there's a still a, a big chunk of territories that we're not in in the U.S. Looking at some of these markets like Oregon and Washington, we've been scratching our heads a little, just wondering and, and having internal discussions of, do we really want to enter these markets? Yeah, Is yeah. it worth our time to enter these markets? And at some point, you have some of these states that you then wonder, well, would it make more sense to look at a country like Colombia instead of a state like Washington or Oregon? And so, yes, we are having a ton of conversations with groups, not only in Europe, but also in, in South America primarily. And so mm -hmm. we actually have an LOI in place right now, or the letter of intent in place with a group that's in Colombia, Uruguay, and Peru. So it would be a three-country licensing deal to get the Binsk brand into South and Central America, which we, excuse me, that's all South America, not Central, which we would <laughs> yep. uh, love to, to be able to go do. We yeah. are also talking to a group out of Italy right now. We've had some discussions with some groups in Spain and Amsterdam. Keep in mind that nowhere in England, I'm sorry, nowhere in Europe right now is federally legal. Yeah. And so even though Barcelona and Amsterdam have the coffee shop set up the way that they do, it is still federally illegal in both the Netherlands and Spain. Yeah. So again, going back to navigating these kind of difficult waters and, and how do we do something over there if it's federally illegal still, our conversations that we're, we're you, you know, speaking with counsel and, and trying to find um, the right answer to. But we believe that Bint is currently one of the top brands in the U.S. and we would look to continue to expand that footprint to make Vince one of the top brands in the world. We have a deal in place with a group in Canada. Um, and so we are trying to finalize the last of that deal and, and plan on making an announcement, which would be the first country outside of the U.S. that the Binsk brand would be available in. And so we we will continue to try to make Binsk an, an international brand over um, the next few months and, and next few years. Yeah. And to think it all it all started with a, a code word for uh, getting out of class and, and smoking a little bit. <laughs> Exactly. Alex, this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about Binsk, about you, what's the best way to get that information? Yes. Yeah, so in terms of the brand, I would say the best way to, to stay on point with what we're doing is, is probably the Instagram page. And so that's just Binsk, B-I-N-S-K-E. Our website is being redone right now, but you can still go on there and check out the old one up until the new one's done. And that, again, is just Binsk.com. My direct email is alex, A-L-E-X, at Binsk.com. I'm, I'm happy to field any questions and, and talk to whoever is interested in, in having a conversation. Yeah. Thanks. I'll make sure that those are in the show notes so people can get those. Alex, it's been a pleasure. Really exciting to have you on. Uh, really excited about what Binsk is doing. And uh, I'm excited to, to, to see it play out. I think there's a lot of interesting, so interesting things are going to be in the space. Next couple of years, I think you're well positioned. I think you have a really innovative approach to running the business, developing a brand. So I'm, I'm excited to see where it goes. Thank you so much for taking the time today. 
Yeah, thank you, Bruce, for having me. Can't wait for New York to uh, become legal as well, so I can get you some Vince products in New York. We're and, working on uh, it. Look forward. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Work in progress. But uh, again, really appreciate you having me on today, and look forward to uh, staying in touch and, and continuing to update you guys in, on the Vince brand. Awesome. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.